an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. Hey, Jeff, we're still on the Atari ST, aren't we? We are. We're on the Atari ST, and we're stuck in 1989. Why are we stuck in 1989? Because I went and played every single game that we said might have been released in 1989 based on the Atari Mania ratings. That was a lot of games to play, and I rated and reviewed every single one. Oh, man. This sounds like something you should do on video, because we need to be YouTubers. I'm going to make some Gaming Gems video about these, but for right now, in audio, we're going to discuss Season 5, Episode 6, Atari ST Halcyon Days of 1989, Part 3, Atari ST Gaming Gems. We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world 8 bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginners' all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hey, you know what? Uh, if you do this on YouTube, maybe we'll get a couple more subscribers. I will. I'll do it on YouTube also, but I want to be able to describe on here, then push people to YouTube on our uh, from our from this little mini podcast episode. Okay. I don't know how right, many it's going to be. I might have a lot of stuff to say. Okay. <clears throat> so, Steve, we had some interesting feedback, didn't we? Yeah, we had some feedback from Brian Bolding, who is Ballistic Coffee Boy on YouTube. He is a, a great. There's a lot of YouTube, a lot of Atari content, other content on YouTube. He's really sort of driving forward with his uh, with his content. It's pretty amazing. Um, and he's, a, he's a super nice guy to boot. So we got a couple pieces of feedback. Um, these came a while ago, but we got to them now because, again, our season has been really slow. Uh, but let's listen to the first one. Hey, guys. This is Ballistic Coffee Boy, uh, Brian in Albuquerque. Just wanted to send you guys a message. Uh, I listened to your latest episode about the Atari generation um, where you referenced my uh, video I did in kind of an honor of you guys. Um, and I was just floored. Uh, I was on vacation actually in California visiting my older sister and her family with my mom and my Texas family who came out there for my mom's 69th birthday. Um, and our dad, my dad passed away right before COVID. So, uh, we, uh, you know, every little celebration has been real special since then, you know, we definitely get together for everyone's birthdays and stuff and have a good time. So, um, in honor of dad, but, um, who bought me my first Atari 2600, by the way. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to write you guys or uh, send you guys a message, tell you how much I enjoyed your episode. I, I love the fact that you say I kind of influenced that, um, episode that really made my 
day, week, month, year. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. You guys are amazing. I also just wanted to leave some content too. Um, I, um, one of my favorite writers um, goes by the name of Douglas Copeland. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners may have heard of him. He had the 1991 bestseller Generation X, Tales for an Accelerated Culture. Um, he also wrote um, Mick Job, or popularized that term, Mick Job, I mean. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he's got some great books. Uh, Shampoo Planet, Life After God, Microsurfs, All Families Are Psychotic, um, Worst Person Ever. Um, he's got so many great books. Um, and um, I've been a f- fan of his work for uh, since, the, since the Generation X, actually. I worked in a bookstore and that came out, but, um, yeah, um, he's, he, he also had out a uh, J pod and player one, which are also some great, uh, books, but I, I highly recommend, uh, people check out his work. Um, uh, it, it's very cool. Um, uh, he also did Eleanor Rigby, the gum thief, Miss Wyoming, girlfriend in a coma. Um, just so many great books. Hey, Nostradamus. That might be all of them right there, <laughs> but um, Polaroids from the Dead. Um, he's a great writer, um, and uh, he writes about, about Generation X growing up, you know, in the 80s, um, 70s. Um, I think he's on the first part of Generation X because I think he just turned 60. Um, but yeah, um, great writer. I recommend him uh, for everyone who's interested in kind of uh, sorting through their own thoughts and feelings about uh, Generation Atari. All right. Um, just wanted to say you guys keep the podcast up. It's great. Uh, we love it. Keep uh, philosophizing uh, Atari and uh, long live Atari. Thank you guys so much. Have a great one. Bye from Albuquerque. So, Brian, first of all, sorry about your dad. We know all about it. Um, yeah. It's yep, very yep, sad. Yep. We've had that. But on your Douglas Copeland one, Steve and I are very familiar with Douglas Copeland. Yeah, no, but I'm glad that he brought it up because yeah. I've only really read Microsurfs, which which is one of my f- single favorite books ever. Um, um, I've read Generation X, Microsurfs, and J-Pod, which is weird and goes off in incredibly bizarre tangents. But I agree, like, Doug, Douglas Copeland is probably the voice of, of Generation X in a way, um, especially yeah. for people like us, because he's kind of, a, he's kind of, like, covers nerd topics a little bit too, so it kind of kind of goes together but yeah that was that was a great feedback from brian <laughs> More feedback ballistic time. ballistic coffee boy we're getting okay. now ballistic Ball- neither Ball- neither you or i can read so i think that's the problem like if we knew how to read we'd yeah, be able was, to yeah i memorized the mark and janet book so i still can't read <laughs> no, okay, literally let's... literally you read it first steve and i memorized that book when you read it so when i went into class i read it and they're wow you can read really well but it was like yeah but now i can't read anyway i didn't um, know that i didn't know I... that you were you were a faker anyway we've um, got another one we've got another, another one, for... one for brian so let's play that one next yeah hey fulton brothers this is Brian, uh, a.k.a. Ballistic Coffee Boy, down in uh, Albuquerque. And uh, we've been communicating uh, a little bit over Twitter in the past month or two. And um, I just wanted to say I just binged your entire podcast in like three months. <laughs> I walk my dogs every day quite a bit, um, go to the gym, um, during lunch breaks and at work. And 
other breaks, um, I'll listen. Um, so I just finished listening to your Pac-Man uh, episode. Um, so I'm completely caught up and just like I did with Ferg's. Um, and uh, his took a little bit longer. But, um, but yeah, I just wanted to say I freaking love your podcast. Thank you so much for being a voice for our generation, the Atari generation. Um, and uh, just wanted to say how much I love and enjoy your podcast. It's fantastic. Um, every episode I just savored and loved and found commonality with, and it really rings a bell with me, and I'm sure it does so many others. So thank you so much to what you bring to us. Um, I appreciate it so much, and I can't wait till the next episode. Uh, you guys are amazing. I wanted to say, too, um, since I've kind of got caught up with your podcast, which three podcasts would you recommend for me, being a uh, Atari 2600 lover and... 5200, 7800, and the APIC computers, obviously. Now, I have listened to quite a few of the popular ones. Everyone, um, I'm caught up with Ferg. Um, I love the, um, I loved the XEGS podcast, um, the um, 5200, um, and uh, I'm starting to listening to Phil's 7800 podcast at the moment too. So I'm working my way through that one. Um, but I wanted to ask you which podcast you recommend. Um, oh, I've also heard the Jaguar and the Lynx podcast, and I love them all. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. And um, yeah, I just wanted to um, tell you guys how much we appreciate you. Thank you so much for everything you do. Um, and I hope you guys have a great year. Stay safe, stay healthy. And um, have you played Atari today? I know you both have. <laughs> have a good one. Bye. So first of all, um, I'm glad that Brian binged the podcast. That's amazing. Yeah, that was awesome. That's you know, I feel bad that the last three episodes about Atari ST stuff, he probably doesn't care about. But he has you an know Atari what? ST now. Oh, well, maybe he does then, because maybe has, it's ST, all about Atari he, it ST. Doesn't, it doesn't work, but he has it. I, I saw well, don't, a, you know, don't video. worry. We're, we will get back to more other oh, sort of general purpose talks and stuff, but... Yeah, we have an interesting 2600 episode coming up. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff that we're thinking about doing. But um, um, but as for podcasts... You name um, yours and I'll name mine, Steve. Well, I'm going to be a little slow here because I'm looking for okay, the one... I what's, will name what's, the three... What's Richard Moss's podcast called? Oh, my God. The Life and Times of Video Games. Okay, so so that's... I'm going to say... I'm going to say that first, above all is Richard Moss's Life and Time of Video Games. It is, every single story is fantastic. It, some of it's about video games, some of it's kind of about, he's got some Mac topics in there too. He writes books, but Richard Moss's stuff is incredible, and I would start there. It is just, it's off the charts great. And then I listen to the Retro Hour as well, every week, which is a British podcast about video games. I get kind of upset at them sometimes because they're kind of, they don't really like the Atari ST. They, they talk a little bit about it now. But it, it's still good. They still have great guests on yeah, they have a the Retro guest. Hour. And then, Jeff, you you hooked me on to This Week in Retro, which I which I like. It's super. It's way more technical than – it's like a competition of the Retro Hour in the UK. But yeah. the guys there are way more technical. I like – those are the three that now I, I listen to the most besides the ones that Brian already mentioned. So Brian didn't mention Antic, the Atari 8-bit podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he did not mention Atari Bytes, which which is the podcast that we share ad, ads with, um, who does 2,600 games, and he's hilarious, uh, writes his own stories. And the other one I want to put in is anything 
by the guys that do Pie Factory. So Pie Factory is um, is Jim and the autobiography of a schnook guy. Right. They um, th- those are great ones to listen to. They do great stuff all the time. They, in fact, if you go back in the Pie Factory podcast, they used to talk about anytime there was an Atari seventy eight hundred version of a game, they would talk about it. And when I first started listening to them, all oh my god, they're talking about the Atari seventy eight hundred. None of these video game nerds talk about the seventy eight hundred, and I forgot that they're Atari nerds too. I didn't know. So, um, <laughs> so then, so they're great. They are they are in the Atari class with the rest of us, or you want to call the the Atari nerd class. Um, There's another one that I listen to off and on. I think it's called the Ted Dabney Experience. Oh my god, Experiment. that one's fantastic! And Ted and those guys Ted. do mostly arcade game stuff. The Ted Dabney Experience or Experiment. I'm looking to see uh, what exactly. It is. Yeah, I think it's experience. it's really good, and I would well, I would to, suggest that. Some more. There's the CU podcast, the completely unnecessary podcast. They are a little controversial in some cases, but yeah, I, I like it though. I think I think mo- I think ninety nine percent of the time I agree with them, and I think I think yeah. they're good. Yeah, that's a great one. There's other ones too. I mean, there's Player Missile for the Atari eight hundred. There's obviously the ones you mentioned, the Jaguar and the Lynx ones. Um, there's Inverse Ataski, but that's about the Atari ST and Atari eight bit like productivity software. <laughs> there's just a lot of them out there. Um, yeah, um, and and I'll say I still want to stress though that like you'll end up binging Richard Moss's podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Life and Times of Eight Video Games. It is really good. Richard has this incredible voice or the way that he delivers the stuff. I can't recommend it more. I hope I hope that you like it. When you listen to it, because some of the stories just hit home really well. So anyway, I would suggest start there because it's so good and then move on. So, Steve, before I go into my diatribe, I want to just kind of talk to you a little bit about what I found in some of these genres that I thought was really interesting after going through all the games and playing them, because I played a lot of games I've never played before. So I found some interesting games in the genre of point-and-click adventures. Really? There are so many point and click adventures and I'm trying to see if there's 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 joystick driven adventures so I found a, a interesting game called that we never had that's just graphically incredible called weird dreams it oh I remember is, remember we yeah. used to see advertisements for that and stuff we just right. never got it I think because I bought cult k-u-l-t and it kind of rubbed me it was a great game when I finally figured it out but for a long time it rubbed me the wrong it way rubbed you the wrong way yeah because I paid like 30 bucks for it and I would play the first like two minutes and I'm like what the hell and then I die and it continuously and then I read like a uh, uh, a guide for it I'm like oh sh-. and then I figured out how you're actually supposed to play it's a good game and anyway some other games that are hard to define like for instance um, you know this is a year when when Rick Dangerous came out so there's games oh, yeah, like yeah. that in there. Um, one interesting one is in the point-and-click adventures quest for the time bird, 
I gave that game a 9 out of 10. In fact, I gave no games a 10, really. So 9 was the really highest you could. I think I gave one game a 9.5. That was Xenon 2, Xenon 2. I didn't really give many games 10. Interesting, though, that, that Ultima 5 came out this year. So that would be the top of the RPG list. So these are all going to show up in the video. Can't wait to watch um, your video on yeah. it. Well, hey, will... but before you get into that, can you talk to me a little bit about your programming aspirations yes. with Stoss? What's going so, on there? I am making a new game that combines together all of the games that I've been trying to make into one. And the reason I'm doing this, and I want to do it for the 7800 with you too, is that I want to. I have a whole bunch of games I want to make, but I don't want to make big, long versions of them. I want to make a games that are almost like Atari Blast. Paul A did Atari Blast, and in you know it, it does all these different genres of horizontal and vertical shooting, but he doesn't have to make like a billion levels of each one. He just makes one level of each one, sort of. I want to kind of do that, and there's a couple ways to do that. One is to do an Atari Blast-style thing with different, different types of games. The other one is to do that old game that we had called Tryout on the Atari 8-bit. And what I'm trying, and Tryout is basically you play tic-tac-toe, but I think in this case, I might do a, not, not do tic-tac-toe. But anyway, you, you choose a square in tic-tac-toe or knots and crosses, if you, if you want to call it that. You pick one and you try play an arcade game. And if you win that level, you get the X. And if you lose it, there's an O there from. Yeah, the it's, 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 an, it's like a precursor to Archon in a way. And yeah, I love this game on the Atari 8-bit. I loved Triad. I thought it was really fun. I, I think it'd be fun to make a 7800 version of that at the same time. Like, that that would be cool. And I'm um, just kind of pulling the idea of Triad, but I don't want to use Triad's games. I want to make new arcade games that kind of would work with it, right? Triad was three across, right? Well, what if right. instead you make a map and you're starting from one side and you're trying to get all the way across the map to the other side and conquer right. the country or something. And it's really like four or five across, but you need to actually get four or five across to do it. And it's it's exactly the same game, but with a some sort of graphical interface that makes it a little bit more interesting than just a, a tic-tac-toe board. Right, something like that. And I've so what I've started to do with um, you know, deciding how many squares and stuff, which you and I can come up with, is starting to work really on these little game engines for the Atari ST. Because it's you know, with the seven eight hundred, you don't have to really worry about like which plugin code for the sixty eight thousand is going to move the screen fast enough, right? Because you just right. have the seven eight hundred. Well, I'm trying to figure out like how to do these plugins for STOS that will make it work so we can get some good games targeting the Atari ST. Yeah. So That's cool. I'm working on that right now. So, Well, I finished a little 7800 game. Well, not finished, but got a first version out called Orion Assault, which is just a shooter. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to iterate on it. that. It's fine. It has some issues, but I mean, I wanted to just get something done to say that it was kind of done. A lot of feedback from it. Going to update it, put it out there for free, obviously, um, as soon as I get it done, and then I can move. Then I can say I have some something done because I just want to get something think done. That we can use that as one of the levels for our triad style game. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. That that would be fairly straightforward. I would say Orion Assault's closest cousin would be Galaxian. 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 More like Galaxian. Galaxian. I I don't know why. Yeah, what I'm trying to do with it now is I'm I'm not happy with the way that the aliens move. So I found my old Bezier curve movement pattern thing that I that I did in Flash, you know, 20 years ago. And I'm going to see if I can implement that on the 7800 
in a way that doesn't just grind the processor to a halt when it tries to do all the calculations. So possibly it'll be storing the movement data in a, in a data block and pulling it out or something. Got to understand how to do that. We'll see. It's something that I'm interested in, in trying to see to do, but it's all for fun. One more thing. So the Atari 50th Anniversary Collection, which is being made by Digital Eclipse, which is Mike Mika, who is a who is very active on Twitter, a pretty nice guy too, he's a and good he's dude. he's somewhat famous for being part of that Atari dig in the Atari Game Over movie oh, uh, that yeah. came, came out and running Digital Eclipse and Other Ocean and, and an old school Game Boy programmer for real. And he's been on Twitter talking about some of the things that he's been doing. And there's going to be some Jaguar games. First of all, you can tell he's going through the process like we would have done it, which is like, what does Atari own? What exactly, what do we know? What, what They find out what does Atari actually own so that you can put it into the collection. They're going to have some Jaguar games. They're obviously going to be Jaguar games that Atari owns owns all the rights to which is not i don't not exactly straightforward i think it's um, not think, aliens versus predator i can tell you that much. no there's gonna be a couple of links games in there as well some new games it sounded yeah. like that he was going to make was it air was it sword quest air world the one that never got made they're gonna finish that about five other brand new games uh, maybe a sequel to Yar's Revenge. I'm not really sure. I think think that was in there as well as it sounds to me like he over the weekend he was talking about emulating the Atari 8-bit keyboard. Yeah. And mapping the keyboard to a modern controller, which tells me that he is trying to put all of Star Raiders onto a single. He's trying to put all of Star Raiders on. It he could be. Uh, there's other games too. Star Raiders too. Yeah. yeah there's Star other Raiders the, especially. Yeah, it, it, so there's other games that would use the keyboard as well. I'll tell you what, if I had Star Raiders, the real Star Raiders to play on my Xbox or my, sorry, on my PS5, I would be in heaven. I mean, if he, uh, I, there's no way he can do this, but if he had Mule as well, I mean, I would never need to load up my Atari 800 again. A lot of these games. Okay, that's not true, but I, but, but, I, but most, 99% of the time, my Atari 100 would not have to be loaded up and I could do it all on that, all in that collection. A lot of the games that he's putting together, the new ones especially, are side-by-side two-player, too. So there's a new version of Combat. There's some other ones that I think that are side-by-side two-player, which is great. Oh, cool. I mean, I mean, they did some of that with Atari Vault. Well, uh, I mean, we were able to play Atari Vault over the internet. Yeah, so. I still love Atari Vault. I think Atari Vault's a great product. This sounds like a brand-new product with all sorts of new and interesting things. I think... It's going to be the one that we've been waiting for, for Atari, for a really long time. I, personally, I I got so excited by it that I bought a $50 Steam card and put it in my account, but I haven't bought anything because I'm waiting for that to come Just out wait. so I can buy it. Oh, one other thing. I did flippantly ask Mika if he would do an interview on our podcast, and he said yes. So I think we have to line that up. If he has think- time. Yeah, if he has time, it would be it just would be awesome. So we're gonna try to line that up as well when we're getting out of the this ST zone. But actually it's good to be in this ST zone because the other thing he said was that the Jaguar emulator is just one step away from being an Atari ST emulator because the Jaguar could run Atari ST games. And I just read something yesterday where people discovered that the Jaguar was a powerhouse two D game yeah, system. What didn't it have Atari? Was Atari STE capability in there? Um, More than that, before PC games were really doing it, the Jaguar was designed to do everything you could do 
with super fast 2D games in there, much better than the um, the Genesis or the Mega or the Mega Drive or the SNES. But for some reason, Atari wanted their 3D games, and then they the thing is were fine, but then they wanted to texture map them and combine together the 2D texture maps and the 3D did not work well. But if you well, and if you look at a lot of games from that time that are 3D with texture maps, not they all look awful. They don't, they don't so. But if you just did 3D or you just did 2D texture maps, it was a powerhouse at both. But, yeah. But you combining the two was not a great idea. So um, Atari, like always, Atari didn't know what they had. Right. They, I think the Jaguar is actually ripe to be a uh, a retro hacking platform unto no, itself because of its 2D some, capabilities. There is, a, there is a version of BASIC you can use to write Jaguar games. Really? Yes. So that's something in the for the future, Steve. That's oh, I'm gonna go yeah, look that up. Mika, especially if Mika gets an emulator we can use to actually write things on it. I mean, I can. That would be amazing. I have a Jaguar development cartridge, but you know, anyway. Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game, loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. Nineteen eighty-nine Atari ST games: A Deeper Look, digging for Atari ST gaming gems. 1989, A Deeper Look. We had an Atari ST when most other kids near us had various consoles and very few had computers. We knew our machine could play superior RPGs, simulations, and adventure titles, but how did it hold up against the 8- and 16-bit console games of the day? Some ST console-like games were as good, some were not. We've chosen 20 console-style games from 1989 for the ST to highlight, but before we get to those we'd like to highlight, let's first look at a list of the top 10 games in all genres from 1989 based on our rating. To make these lists, we played every single game that has a 1989 release date in Atari Mania's database. We ranked them on sound, graphics, gameplay, and addictiveness using scores of 1 to 10, then averaged those scores to come up with a rating. The following list is how the numbers worked out for the top 10. It's all subjective, plus a little math, but we did play all of the games from the year to be certain we were ranking them against their contemporary competition. Number 10. Interphase by Imageworks. Our rating, 9 out of 10. Type, Shoot 'em Up 3D. This was reviewed as one of the best games on the system in any year. Review scores were from 89 to 93%. Interface is an amazing tunnel shooter with problem-solving and strategy elements combined. In the November 1989 ST format, they said, Once in a while, a game stands apart from the rest, totally defying comparison. This game takes some reading to get into, but it's one of the most unique entertaining Atari ST games of the year. RVF Honda, our rating, 9 out of 10. Racing, motorcycles is the genre. This is an awesome motorcycle racing game. It's fast and furious and relatively easy to control your bike in a sprite-based environment 
that also includes a lot of flat polygons for trees and overpasses. The reviews ran the gamut back in 1989 from just okay in ST format at 68% to Ace giving it 92%. I think when we look back at RVF Honda in comparison to the other Atari ST games of the time, it shines pretty well and was one of our favorite games to play while researching this series. Gauntlet 2 Mindscape. Our rating 9.1 out of 10. Arcade hack and slash is the genre. This was the first great Atari ST arcade conversion. Basically, you get to play the arcade machine with no slowdown. It has all the digital speech, loads of colorful arcade sprites, and fast multi-way scrolling. This sets it apart from the original gauntlet on the ST. Basically, it's an arcade machine at home. Magazine ratings range from 80 to 93%. We rate this as one of the most fun multiplayer Atari ST games in its library. 7. Midwinter by Microprose. Our rating 9.2 out of 10. Genre. Adventure Arcade. This incredible looking 3D adventure action strategy game is the ultimate classic spy game in a post-apocalyptic nuclear winter with guns. It takes a little reading to get into, but it's worth it. Contemporary reviews topped out at a whopping 96%, with CVG&E saying Midwinter is astonishing. It's so vast, yet the gameplay is so intricate that it will take months of play to get through. We were not able to play too far into it, but from what we did, we can tell there's an amazing game to be found once you read through all of the instructions. 6. Seven Gates of Jambala, our rating 9.2 out of 10. Genre, Arcade Adventure 2D. What a great platform adventure game for the Atari ST. It's like a Sega Wonder Boy game. Excellent all around. Why should this little known action arcade console style game be rated as good or better than Midwinter? Well, it's all subjective, you know. It just goes to show you that this is how the ratings fall and we could instantly enjoy this game without a lot of reading. In its genre on the ST, it's the best of its kind to us in 1989. None of the contemporary reviews gave it higher than 78%, but we absolutely loved what we saw and played. And obviously, we're not going by what contemporary reviewers said for most of our games. We are showing their ratings, but we're not going 100% by what they said. 5. Ultima 5 Warriors of Destiny, our rating 9.2 out of 10, genre, adventure RPG. One of the last great 2D role-playing games. The ST version has graphics and sound much improved over the 8-bit versions, but it retains all of the awesomeness of this deep role-playing adventure experience. Ace gave it a 94% saying, The whole Ultimate series is good, but 5 is the best yet. This is one to really sink your teeth into if you're an RPG fan. Number four, Kickoff Extra Time by Anko. We gave it a 9.2 out of 10. This is a sports soccer footy style game. This is still the best footy game of the 80s before Sensible, but with extra time and a shot strength meter that was deleted for Kickoff 2. It has amazing speed and gameplay that more than make up for the small graphics. SD user gave Kickoff 
90% saying this is one of the fastest, most exciting action games around. It has to be the best football simulation ever. If it's realism, thrills, and unrelenting action you want, go dazzle yourself and your friends with kickoff. You won't regret it. 3. SimCity by Maxis. Our rating, 9.4 out of 10. Genre, Simulation Builder. This is the first sim game by Maxis, and it's still one of the best. It's more construction set than game and gives you full control over the disasters that befall your growing city. This is the type of game that set computers apart from consoles in the late 80s. It received pretty much universally great reviews, with Atari users' score of 96% being the highest. They commented, You will probably find it the best 20 quid you'll ever spend. Xenon 2. Our rating, 9.5 out of 10. Shoot 'em up, vertical scrolling. I know we did an entire episode on this with Tony Longworth and Steve and I discussing it, but we had to highlight this one again because it is the second best game of the year or, you know, subjectively the best game of the year. We did an entire show on this game, but it needs to be said that it was the game that showed us that the ST could handle console-style shooters better than anyone thought. Beautiful parallax scrolling, a bolt-on weapon arsenal second to none, and five levels of blastiness that are relentless and finger-breaking. It's still probably technically the best vertical shooter on the STFM. Number 1. Stunt Car Racer. Our rating 9.5 out of 10. Genre. Racing 3D Stunts. While Xenon 2 got a straight 9.5 ratings in all four of our categories, this is the only game to get a max 10 in all categories except sound. This is the classic Jeff Kravitz racer that showed us what the ST could do after playing the slow and difficult to control hard driving. Stunt Car Racer showed exactly where computer games on the ST should have been headed. In August of 1988, Steve and I had our Atari ST for about a year and a half when we discovered that we could purchase loads and loads of great games from European import shops in a few semi-local locations. By semi-local, I mean about 40 to 50 miles away in three different directions. This was not walking distance, of course, but we were commuting to college anyway and living at home, so driving a lot was already part of the game we were playing in everyday life. We had finished our senior year by making a collaborative student film for English class called The Love Song of J. Alfred Punk Rock a take on the poem J. Alfred Proofrock, in which one of us accidentally takes LSD and then fumbles through a trip across various books which we were supposed to have read in honors English class that year. It was fun to make, allowed us to make some more close friends at the end of what was already a pretty decent high school experience, and was also wildly popular and was shown to many other classrooms that year. Also, if we had made it now in 2022, most likely we all would have been kicked out of school. During our downtime that summer, one thing we did a lot was play on our friend Ian's NES. 
Contra and Track and Field were enormous favorites, and much different than the role-playing games we had played on the Atari ST. Video and computer games were not really a focus for us that summer, though. It was more focused on hanging out, thinking of new film ideas, checking out local punk rock shows, and kind of dreading the end of August when many of our friends would leave and we'd have to start school again. At the end of the summer, I could not help but have huge pangs of loneliness when most of these new friends left for Berkeley and other schools in Northern California. So Steve and I focused a lot on school and computer games. While the local shops had already stopped selling anything but the oldest, most moldy Atari ST games at least a few months before, the import shops we'd found were an oasis of Atari ST and Amiga beauty. Shelves and shelves of games, magazines, hardware, software, and more, all ready to be played on our little 16-bit computer that could. While in university that freshman year from August 1988 until June 1989, we focused mostly on schoolwork while taking in animation festivals and other on-campus activities, as well as playing in the Student Union Arcade and going to see bands play around campus. It was a good college experience, but not the same as if we had decided to live on campus. That really wasn't an option for us then, though. Most of our high school friends had left for the various colleges outside of town, but Brandon, our Atari ST-owning friend, was the one who stuck around and commuted to college with us five days a week. Having Brandon around and knowing a few people on campus kept us sane socially, as Steve and I had both broken up with girlfriends right as the high school year before had ended. Real viable social interactions were few and far between, though, with both of us working many hours to be able to afford gas, books, food, and other necessities of a college life, even while living at home. When it came to video games, there was only really room for playing Atari ST games and, of course, a few trips to that student union at school. Personally, I was busy with school or work seven days a week and some days both. I'd become run down and had a cold for at least five months. While I didn't feel abandoned by our friends who got to go to upstate schools, I was a little jealous. But Steve and Brandon and I got along famously that year, and we all did the best we could to stay sane during those 50 miles a day commutes between school and work, trying to eke out some sort of social life in the midst of a pretty chaotic time. <laughs> Steve and I were more drawn to the longer, more involved games on the Atari ST. While we still loved action games, we knew the more adult games could relieve the boredom and chaos of the first college year more than simple action contests. Still, we knew our friends were mostly into console games and wanted to have some to show off to them on the ST when that first summer break of college arrived in 1989. I guess we felt the need to evangelize our computer a little bit and how it was just as good a game machine as their systems, but that it could do much, much more. When summer finally hit in 1989, we were able to meet up with our high school friends returning from college break. While we spent most of our time going to more local punk rock shows by bands like All and Big Drill Car, we also filmed the final scenes and put the finishing touches on a second film we created together called The Ballad of Buffalo Love Machine, about a gang of punk rock hooligans. The full story of that is for another time. By going to those 
Oasis Atari ST import stores, we had collected a load of games over that first college year and wanted to show them to our returning friends. I don't know if we consciously needed to have our friends accept the Atari ST as great, but it had to play some part in our motivation to show off the great games, especially the console-style games we had collected. It might have been more about proving to ourselves in some small way that we had not wasted our time by staying home and commuting to a local university. Probably a little both, because really that first year of college was pretty damn good, possibly better than some of the experiences those that went away had. And to boot, we had shiny boxes filled with great Atari ST games and software to show off for it. The funny thing is, as summer went on, we didn't play as many games as we had during the school year. Having a group of friends back made all the difference, and there was really nothing to prove to them about the ST. They all loved it. In the USA, consoles and computers were treated completely different. But we were all beyond system comparisons by that time anyway. Just doing cool things on a computer was enough for us. So during that summer, we took a load of the console-style games that we had collected to Brandon's house to show off to people. And while they were certainly impressed with the ST, especially Xenon 2, Blood Money, and Rick Dangerous, they were more convinced by Fantasy 2 and Dungeon Master than they were by the ST's console-style games. In fact, the software that convinced them the most was Cyber Studio in Cyber Paint. As summer was winding down, we started to edit our just-completed film together. Steve used these applications to make animation and titles on video for our film. Well, it wasn't actually a film. It was shot on 8mm video, so we made titles on video for a video. But like I said, that film is a story for another day. These titles and animations impressed everyone. A few of our friends had brothers who were in their final years of film school, and they said these titles and animations were much better than anything that they could sync and generate on their own for school projects. Some even went out and bought Atari STs because of how impressed they were. So there was nothing really to prove at all, as we had all matured to the point where video and computer games were just a pastime, an enjoyable, fun, and exciting one, but not life or death, nothing to argue about, just something to do, while we planned and carried out our other adventures. In fact, the ST with all the tools, coding languages, and of course games we had seemed to make some of our friends a bit jealous, as they didn't have space for computers in their dorm rooms. Maybe staying home for university wasn't quite as bad as we thought it would be. Even though games became less of a focus when all of us were together, we still played a hell of a lot of console-style games on the Atari ST in 1989. Here are eight of the console games we purchased that year in 1989 and showed to our friends that make it into my top 20. First, we have Xenon 2. We've already talked about this one quite a lot. It was already in our top 10 games of the year. This game made pretty much everyone jealous that we had an Atari ST. Robocop was the closest thing at the time to Contra on the Atari ST. Ocean did this one really good. In this conversion, you get the arcade side-scrolling levels with a few first-person levels added in. It roughly follows the film after Murphy has been transformed into Robocop. 
The Games Machine magazine gave it high praise with a 90% and said Ocean should really congratulate themselves for what was excellent on 8-bit formats has undergone a remarkable metamorphosis to be reborn with samples, digitized pictures, and superb presentation and all the other extras that boost it far beyond just being very good entertainment. Super Wonder Boy and Monsterland. This is a very, very nice action adventure for the Atari ST. Maybe the best overall on the system, except possibly Seven Gates of Jambala. In this arcade sequel to Wonder Boy, you are again Tom Tom, and you must defeat the dragon and army of evil through 12 locations by running, jumping, killing, and shopping for clues and items. It received very positive reviews, with the one saying Super Wonder Boy is actually a rather brilliant little game. It's very easy to get into and very hard to put down, and they gave it 85%. Another of the games that really, really impressed our friends. Blood Money, a very good ST version of an Amiga Ultimate Classic. Everything is very well done here. A good cheat can tell you a lot about a game. Play this with the invincibility on in a cracked disc version and you'll eventually buy all of the weapons. With all of those, the game rocks hard. Blood Money is a good old-fashioned four-way scrolling blaster through four difficult worlds. Money as coins can be picked up to purchase weapons and shops conveniently placed around the levels. The ST version received universally good scores with some fittingly high like 90% from ST format. Rick Dangerous. Rick Dangerous is a balls hard, but a really good game and an absolute classic on the ST. It takes a lot of memorization to beat, but it's worth it. You are Rick Dangerous, an Indiana Jones type who is stuck in a pyramid and must get through a hundred screens. ST Action was right in line with the opinions of others saying that the graphics are brilliant. It'll take one or two goes to get far in the game, but once you're in it, there's no way out. You'll be addicted for months, and they gave it 90%. Strider. You are Hyru. I think that's how you say it. A Super A-class Strider. His mission is to defeat the Grand Master and put an end to his evil plotting once and for all. You can run, jump, perform acrobatics, and climb walls and overhangs while wielding a plasma sword called a Cypher. This has fun and unique console-like action with a lot of fighting, power-ups, and unique player movement. As you'll see if you watch my video, Strider has some very interesting console-style mechanics, but is also hampered a little bit by some really precise jumping, especially on the diagonal platforms. The reviews were across the board good and typical of this ST Format 1, with a short burst of sampled sound, loads of animation, and graphics taken straight from the coin-op. Strider scores well in all departments, and they gave it a 93%. Ball. B-A-A-L. This massively well-crafted Atari ST game was re-released in 1989. While we love the presentation and think it would impress console owners, it has some major flaws, like a lot of cheap deaths. There's more to do than just run and gun in this game, though. Ball was the early type of sounds and graphics and games we thought all Atari ST games would have when we first got this game in 1988. Complexity of the controls, cheap deaths, and incredibly obtuse level design leave a little to be desired, but still, it looks and sounds absolutely fantastic. And it blows away anything on the NES at the time. 
Switchblade. Switchblade is a great platform adventure written by the same team as Rick Dangerous. It's a very Nintendo-style Japanese-inspired game with a complex but good control system. You start by being able to land powerful kicks and punches by holding down the button and letting go at the right time. You eventually will find more powerful weapons to pick up. Your job is to travel through the levels and find 16 pieces of the Fire Blade. You jump by pushing up and it can get annoying, so a game played in emulation where you can add a jump button might be the way to go. It received really good reviews, with the one giving it 100%. I find it a little too frustrating for a score like that, but still a very impressive game. Commando. Commando is a well-made but difficult all-out arcade blaster Capcom conversion. Magazines at the time didn't give Commando higher than 70%. But in retrospect, it's one of the better arcade conversions on the ST and a very good game to show off to your console-owning friends because it looks so much better than the NES version that our friend Ian had. The magazines of the time didn't agree with me with the games machine only giving it 70%, saying it would be okay if Commando was good, but it lost its playability because of poor collision detection and was just as easy as Spectrum version. That's so weird. I completely disagree. It's not anything like I think that the Games Machine played a preview version of the game. Those are the console games from my top 20 that we own. But going through all of the games from 1989, I found 12 more console-style games for the Atari ST that really would have impressed our friends. The remaining 12... Researching for this segment, I got very nostalgic for the Atari ST and decided to look for even more games than the ones we had. Seven Gates of Jambala. We've talked about this one already in the top 10. This is just a fun, really well-made game. I've heard some other people that they didn't like it because it's too much like just a demo coder game, but I really like it. I, I don't agree. New Zealand Story, all class, an amazing, cute, well-done game on the Atari ST. You are Tiki, the leader of the Kiwi who have been imprisoned by the evil Leopard Seal. Atari ST User Magazine gave it 90%, saying New Zealand Story is a first-rate arcade game. It's fast, responsive, and extremely addictive. Pipe Dream or Pipe Mania, Map of the Flues to the right location by placing pipes on a grid. The flues is about to flow. Can you set up enough pipes to get it to flow where you want it to? You get bonus points for looping the flues through itself, filling the screen and more. It's an addictive puzzle game, it's very well crafted. I think we had a game like it on the Atari 8-bit also, but this one is incredibly well made. Zero Magazine gave it 92%, saying Pipe Mania is an excellent game that managed to be both puzzling and exciting. R-Type 2. This is a sequel to possibly the best side-scrolling arcade game of all time. While the ST received a playable version of the original game, this sequel, in our opinion, is much better. Most of the magazines gave it score on 80%, of saying that it played well and sounded good, but they expected a little more from the ST to be closer to the parallax of the Amiga. Personally, I think that would have taken a little bit more STE hardware to pull off. There's a cracked version that has collisions turned off, this one's really fun to play because 
That way you can see most of the game, which I can't because I'm terrible at this game. Ivanhoe, a really good looking game. Reviewers called graphics brilliant, but the action a little tedious. But still, it's a fun console style game. If you watch the video that accompanies this podcast, Ivanhoe has the good and bad of a console game. They went great lengths to make it fast, but you'll see that there's a glitch a lot of times where the frames of animation kind of switch places. It's a little off, but it's worthwhile and fun. It looks better and is faster than most beat-em-ups on the NES. The next game is Batman the Movie. This is the game that sold a million Amiga 500s for Christmas in 1989. But still, on the ST, it's well-made and fun. Imagine that. It's one of Ocean's best licensed games. It implements some of the mechanics that Strider tried to implement, but slightly better. Because the bat rope swinging and climbing mechanics are fantastic. The reviews average between 71 and 90% in magazines, and I feel it's right in the middle with about an 80%. I was able to get Batman to climb and kill a lot of enemies, but I don't think the classic Batman did a lot of killing. Anyway, maybe this is Dark Knight or some modern interpretation of Batman. Atomic Robo Kid, a very nice, well-done arcade conversion with some slowdown, but plays incredibly well. I love to break this one out on the retro pie and play on the big screen TV in the living room. It's that good of a blaster, especially if you take one of your emulators and pump it up to 16 megahertz, then it plays just incredible. But even the 8 megahertz version is a triumph. ST Format would out of its way to praise the gameplay in this one, but say the graphics needed to be a little better, which is hilarious because I think it's kind of the other way around. Gameplay can get slow, but the graphics are really good. In any case, they gave it an 82%. I think it's about an 80% too, maybe a little higher. Okay, here's a game kind of similar. I like it a lot, but it's got a few problems. This is a game that's impressive, though, to show off to people. It's called Jug. It's a superb multi-way blaster. You man what's called a Jug, a ship that can morph into three different forms and firing modes. You blast everything, pick up special items and power-ups, and make it to the exit of Isla. Magazines didn't quite like it as much as I did. Maybe we had some of the same problems with it. In the video... I had trouble with the scrolling, and it's funny because not the horizontal scrolling this time. They did the vertical scrolling weird on this one. Um, in any case, some of the magazines gave it, you know, 80, some gave it 66. I think it's really impressive technically, and while we didn't have it back then, I think it would have impressed our console-owning friends. Onslaught is the next one. In Onslaught, you conquer three huge levels as a lone warrior, collect spells and hack and slash the enemy hordes en route to the castle and beyond. This game literally has arcade quarter-eating difficulty written all over it. You'll die over and over. You are thrown right into the wolves in this nicely crafted vertical and horizontal scrolling adventure. Graphics and gameplay are great, and while the sound can be a little annoying, it's still better than most Atari ST soundtracks. There are strategy elements too, and multiple weapons to collect to choose from. Reviews were pretty good, with the highest rating being the Games Machine magazine, giving it a whopping 95%. The documentation is available online. Read that before playing. Hawkeye. 
Hawkeye is a fun run-and-gun platform blaster. You have to collect four puzzle pieces and extra weapons on each level. The parallax scrolling is a nice touch, and while the ST sound effects and graphics aren't quite as good as the Amigas, they accompany the game very well. The multi-format games machine had a lot to say about all three system versions when the ST version was released. It's pretty interesting. They said... In retrospect, having waited so long for it, perhaps the Amiga version was overrated compared to its C64 original. And the delay has made Hawkeye's parallax scrolling seem less exciting in comparison to other 16-bit releases. In most respects, the ST version is graphically identical to the Amiga game, the only real difference being the title tune. Pretty faint praise. I still like Hawkeye. It was fun. It's a fun action-adventure game for the Atari ST. Squeak. Squeak is the final game of the 20. Squeak is more of a jumping puzzle style game. You have to turn all of the boring blue tiles into colorful squeak tiles in this pleasant, fun, and colorful arcade game. It's a breath of fresh air, and it got wildly weird reviews from 52% to 90%. Even though it got wild reviews, all of them gave it great praise. I think the 52 was more, you know, this game... It came out in 1989. Games were getting bigger. There aren't many just pure arcade contests out there. Then maybe they thought it was you know too close to Pac-Man. There was no way to cover every game in long form, but there are enough good gems in the 7.5 and above to make more videos and not just on the console games, of course. So look out for those on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash into the vertical blank, all one word. Do you remember that time, Steve? You remember? Oh my God! Do I remember? I that... I actually had written have a half written story about that too, but it's a little bit different. But it's it's about that same time, but but it has a different focus to it. But it, yeah, but yeah. This was it was relatively short. I just wanted to get through the idea, and I wanted to be able to to put those thirty games, or actually, it turns out to be twenty eight games, sort of in context. You know, we we loved the. The longer style games, none of them that we played were really listed. Dungeon Master didn't come out that year, and the fantasy games has already come out. But yeah, Dungeon um, Master came out like a year before, I think. Right, right. And I, I there were a lot of console style games that came out for the ST that year. And then when I went back and remembered, I remember us really looking for some games to match what was on Ian's NES. And yeah, I mean, I know Forgotten Worlds is a really good example. Yes. That we, we got and played that. Strider... To, Strider was always I, I get Forgotten Worlds and Strider ma- mixed up. Forgotten right. Worlds is the one where you got the two guys shooting and the Zenny and all that stuff. Yes. That one I loved. That one's really good. Strider is actually um, a different. Strider's a pretty good game. It's in my list of the of the best console games. I think that Forgotten Worlds didn't come out this year, or maybe it did. No, it probably didn't. I just remember Forgotten Worlds being one of those games that we got in, with that idea in mind that we wanted something like. Oh yeah, like, we looked for we we were always looking for like didn't, a. I think vertical this... shooters and horizontal shooters and game and like not really platform games so much, but like platform adventures. Not like not like Super Mario Brothers because that was so boring to us, but more like plat- like Strider style platform adventures, things like that. Well, I remember this time. I think it was the summer of '89. I think our friend Ian had moved to his dad's. His parents got a divorce, which of course no, is not very... yet. Not, oh, not yet. yet. Oh, was so, that the next okay. year? So. This is the thing. Um, when I looked at when the... And I was trying to piece together when this time was, too. 
when the Sega Genesis actually came out was like November of 1989. Oh, so it had to be the when, next the, summer. Yes, because Ian's dad had the Genesis at his house, and I played like Altered Beast with Ian over there. Yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. Next summer. That's when we were doing our third. Well, actually, we had we were doing our third movie and starting to work on our. Well, we had other one. we had other movies in between. Yes, just oh, they yeah, just didn't have the movies didn't have computer titles. So the first one we did actually was pre. Who cares about this? But but the first movie we made in high senior in high school was pre J Alfred Punk Rock, and it was called The Claw. And oh, the yeah. Claw included a song that I wrote and Ian's brother Kurt sang, and I played on the my crappy Sony electric guitar. Okay. And that's the claw, which the claw, he's a real mean dude, right? The claw, he's a real the mean next, dude. Yeah, then we did J. Alfred Punk Rock for our end-of-year project in our honors AP English class, which should not have been accepted. As, no, <laughs> as not at all. Was, we got an A on it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to link to this in the show notes or not, but did you know that his full movie is up? Um, yeah, but the, the music was all muted. I don't know if it's muted anymore. Remember when YouTube used to mute, mute your the music? Mute the music. I might be able to unmute it, but then have it take the. I don't know. It's okay. See if um, see if you can unmute. Like I think I think they don't mute anymore. Now they just now it doesn't monetize, right? You don't hear a lot of sound even in this video. Oh, that, yeah, it's weird. No, there's sound. I think it, no, it was muted on purpose. When you uploaded it, it said it muted it because it found a bunch oh. of licensed music. So you might yeah. have to upload it again. I'd have because... to upload it again and 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 take the hit. Yeah, but that was a long time on, ago. I don't want to take the hit on into the vertical blank. I want to take the hit elsewhere, and I don't know what that eight bit rocket. Um, well, you can take the hit because it. Oh, you mean you don't take the copyright strike? Yeah, I don't want there to be a strike. Like I don't mind it be copyright. Just like, upload claimed. it to your own. You must have your own account that you, you don't can want upload to upload to my own account. If they they claim my entire channel okay. and think all my emails gone anyway, so then I make. Do, then I got an idea. Make another account that's like Wheat Media or something. Make a I, Wheat Media at Google dot com. Okay. And 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 we can upload all the movies I, there. At some point, <laughs> I will up. I will. I will upload it. Okay. I'll upload. I just I don't have so, a lot of time. Now. But the point that you're trying to make is so you didn't say this in the story, but I reminded you, we did do titles on the Atari ST for that movie. Yes. yes. Um, and but it was they were just single graphics that I think I drew in whatever paint program we had. I, mean, I want to say Deluxe Paint, but that's not it. It was no, probably that, it was probably Dagon. Spectrum Five Degas Degas Elite Degas. Right, right, right. So and Degas. So drew like some brick. There was like a brick background you could fill in and drew some stuff on it. And that was all just single pages, single like images that then we recorded a V on a VCR because the STFM, you know, plugged into the VCR, then recorded on the TV and then spliced that together with the rest of the video in, you know, using like two VCRs to edit, which was not ideal in the any way at all whatsoever. But then the next year we kind of did the same thing, but we made actual credits using CyberPaint. Or I made them using Cyber Studio for the for the animation. Which CyberPaint is the grandfather of 3D Studio Max. You know that, right? I do know that, yeah. Yeah. But I think he had Cyber he had Cyber Studio Sure. I mean, I'm just a grandfather. I mean, it's it's like the first version of it, but it's a vector. 
You know that I have the inst I have our full manual to that somewhere. Yeah, here. it was a vector drawing tool, and I think yeah. it's probably you know it's, it was awesome. Cyber Paint was incredible. I did all sorts of stuff with Cyber Paint. It was really fun. And then yeah, we made more movies later where we used other animated Cyber Paint and some other stuff, and and to do animations. And it's all awful. It's all just dreadful. And it's like the the dregs even for whatever's on YouTube now. I but don't know if this... it's dreadful compared to, I mean, things of that time. No, I mean, no, compared to that good. time, it's not good. I mean, Todd, like a kid with, with sticking a phone up their nose who could do better than we did now. now. Yeah. That was on like an eight mil, a giant eight millimeter camera. <laughs> That's right. It's a huge, giant eight millimeter video camera. camera. That's so so I, video camera. I'll, I'll say that I do understand what you're talking about, though. There, there was that time when we, we had that sort of, we had the Atari ST and we were like, oh, it'd be really great. Really sort of wishing to be able to play some of those games that were on the consoles or at least something like them. And I think kind of grazed the outside. Like I think on the Lynx, we got Rygar when we got the Lynx, which I think right. is in 90, 91, we got the Lynx. And I thought Rygar was awesome. Like, oh, here I am. I'm in with the kids. But Rygar was not a big game on any other well, The console. funny thing is we had Switchblade, which was a great game, but we didn't play it enough. We didn't play it no. much. No. Um, and we had a few, we did have a lot of them. I mean, but so yeah, Rygar, I mean, that was the Lynx was a, was our attempt to get in with the, the, the kids and gaming, but you know, we were, I was, I don't know how old I was at the, the time. The only way to do that at the time would be to get a Nintendo and play Super Mario Brothers and Zelda. And I didn't want to play those games. No, they were, they were, Super Mario Brothers is okay. Zelda so, always bothered me. Zelda's so. just not, Zelda, I mean, I see people play it and I understand why. If it was the first role playing game you'd ever played, yeah, it's not really a role play. It's more like an action adventure game. It's more like Alibaba and the Forty Thieves than it right. is than it is like fantasy. And yeah, to me, they were. To, we had played so many in depth computer games before that that I, I looked at Zelda. I'm like, eh, eh. it's not. A, I mean, I was playing Dungeon Master, and Dungeon right. Master was effing incredible compared to that. I'm like, there's not even a comparison to the two. It's amazing, and that was like, eh, looks a little bit better than the. Uh, you know, I think we had a seventy hundred. Looked a little bit better than seventy hundred, but but it wasn't like it was. You know, I I would tell you, I think except for the Mind Master, it was better than Zelda on the oh, on the Atari VCS. Well, I, I mean, they they could have done that. Was Dragon Stomper? Dragon Stomper. Yeah. So I, I remember that time, you know, we were more in tune. It's kind of why it's fun to listen to the Retro Hour and This Week in Retro for us, because a lot of our formative gaming years were spent buying European imports. So yeah. when, when we listen to those and we hear stuff about the Bitmap Brothers and, and the who are the, twi the Oliver, Oliver Twins, twins. And, yeah. and we're like, oh, yeah, no, I know all that. You know, exactly. we played North and South and, and we, we, we played a lot of these games that were on the ST. And, and people need to admit, and I want those guys to admit, the Atari ST was the top gaming platform for at least two years right. in the UK. Now, I, mean, I know after that the, the you know Amiga what? came. I mean, it, it was. It was, but if you still had your Commodore 64, you're getting all those games too. So but did maybe... they have Commodore 64 as much over yeah. there? Was it, did oh, it... yeah. Oh, it was huge. Okay. It's Commodore 64 was huge. Yeah, it was It was giant in the UK. That's oh, I mean. the Atari 800 was not. The Atari 8-bit because it's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. The Commodore 64... The Spectrum and the CPC were the biggest platforms. And the Amiga also. After no, it. I meant of the 8-bit platforms. And then oh, obviously right. the Amiga and the Atari ST. Oof. And the guy, people who were there in the actual middle, actual 80s, the late 80s making games, they they talk about the Atari ST. They know 
that they made games for it and they were good and they tried their hardest. It's all the post-91 stuff when really the Amiga sold, I, I even in part of my story, I talk about how we're very, very briefly that the Batman game for the Atari ST is really good, but it's the game that sold a million Amigas in Christmas 1989. And so that's that. just like when the Commodore 64 sold a million Commodore 64s in the Christmas of 1983, and it kept ticked the Atari 800's ass when they sold... In 84, too, by the way. They, they sold right, more in 84. Exactly. Yeah, when they, when they didn't know what they were doing. Like, both times, like, 83, they had nothing to sell because of the, James Morgan had stopped production. And then yep. in 84... Tramiel didn't want to advertise it or anything. Like he went no, until he, after Christmas. He he fought a price war, but it wasn't all about price anymore. He had a marketing war, too, and a mindshare war, and he lost that one. The, hey, the, wait, wait. Before you go, let's just quickly. What are you watching right now on TV, Jeff? Oh, let me see. The House of the Dragon thing, Game of Thrones, pretty good. I lost access to HBO Max when I upgraded my my cell phone, so I'm I don't have, I'm not I'm not paying for it until something oh. good comes on. So yeah, um, you can always rewatch everything again anyway. Um, let's see, one other thing that I'm really take oh um the Ghost Adventure started again last night, so it's a pretty creepy one that that's oh. on. I was just watching it. It was a, it's pretty creepy. I am fully into Welcome to Wrexham on oh, FX. Me too. Yeah, that is amazing. So good. I thought it would be really disrespectful. No, because um, these American guys buying the Welsh soccer team. I'm like, oh, a football team, but soccer team. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is going to be disrespectful and stupid. But actually, it's not really disrespectful at all. The guys make fun of themselves, but they certainly yeah. don't attempt make to make of fun of the of the people or the team. Actually, it comes through that you know they're hardly worthy to even own own it. But it's a great show. I look. They they have these little moments where they focus on, on the different players on the team, and it's just incredible. Like they just do such a good job. Oh yeah, yeah. The guys. That are living in that like terrible house together and stuff. it's gross. Yeah, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all these are all guys that are in the USA. These would be people that are in our second division of soccer. I mean, the USL two or one making no money, but this is all the way down in the fifth division. So the song that's underneath the story and what we're going to play right now is a song by Tony Longworth called "Past, Present, and Future." And so, until next time, Steve, into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank.
Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.